Welcome back, kids, and thanks for listening as we delve into Marvel's House of M. This is our own crossover event of sorts. This is not only an Expedition to Elseworlds episode, as we have launched that new series this year, but we are heading back into Diagnosis Multiverse, getting to the roots of the Marvel multiverse. And with that, joining me today is Doc. Doc, how are you? I'm excellent, Angus. How are you doing? Doing great. And Doc, this particular event, although it was not the first because you were very quick to point up Marvel's long history with their entire What If series, which that truly is the ground zero, if you will, for the building up of the Marvel multiverse. Now, this event, however, House of M, had massive repercussions because you were coming off of a very successful X-Men run with Grant Morrison, Joss Whedon, and taking that over. You had Brian Michael Bendis coming in to pump new life into the Avengers. This period of Marvel history was one of rebirth, and not to take a DC moniker, mind you, but, but honestly, in the 90s, DC was really going to town in putting out just epic event after epic event, series after series of very high quality. You had the birth of Vertigo going on over there. And Marvel was going through, to put it very politely, a malaise. The company was on its downward slide to bankruptcy and then reemergence. So you really had some problematic things going on at Marvel there by the mid to late 90s. And now in the 2000s, you started to see a reinvigoration and an excitement over at Marvel to do some innovative storytelling. And Brian Michael Bendis really brought it to this particular work. And it has been pointed out on many occasions of being very inspirational to other works that Marvel would publish after its successful run. Specifically, this thread and dealing with Wanda Maximoff and Scarlet Witch would be used time and time again in different series. And really was a massive influence, flavor elements, if you will. And mind you, the Marvel Cinematic Universe is brilliant in taking these little beats, these little steps, these little bits of flavor, and then mashing it up into something brand new. But I have seen it because I've been a devotee to watching the brand new WandaVision program, how many of these elements from House of M have been incorporated into that WandaVision program, not only from visual story elements, but also from a influence inspiration in some of the scripting and some of the beats, if you will. It is no way, shape, or form House of M. It is not that at all. But you can definitely see where the influence has gone. So that's why, Doc, when we were discussing this back and forth, we thought this was no better way to have a crossover event between Expedition to Elseworlds here and also Diagnosis Multiverse into this House of M event. So with that setup, Doc, you, what were your general impressions of House of M? And let's let the audience know, I, as usual, read the core event, which was eight issues. And again, this was written by Brian Michael Bendis, and our penciler is Oliver Coppell. The inker, Tim Townsend, with Rick Magyar, Scott Hanna, and John Dell. Our colorist, Frank Dermata, and letterer, Chris 
Aliopolis. And this came out, if I'm not mistaken, around what, 2005, 2006, Doc? Yeah, yeah, around that. Because I think it started with that Excalibur Volume 3 event, which was around 2004, 2005. So yeah, and this picked up right after, right after that. So yeah, it was like 05, 06. And Doc, you being the completist, read every one of these tie-in issues. So generally speaking, how was this reading experience for you? I had a way better time with this than I thought I was going to have. This this event when it was first out, it kind of it kind of slipped through the cracks for me because I was just I was deep into um, you know JLA from D- over at DC you know in the early two thousands with Grant Morrison's run on there, reading Jeff Johns and his Green Lantern, amazing Green Lantern run. So this one kind of this is when I kind of started getting away from Marvel, and this one kind of slipped through. I heard a couple things that you know this Michael Bryan, but he's awesome. You got to read this. And I just, it didn't, it wasn't that I was opposed to reading it. It just kind of slipped through the cracks for me. I'm really glad I went back and and read it. I have not yet started watching WandaVision, so I can't do any comparisons there. But uh, as far as this, the event goes, it was, it was super fun. I thought it was really, it was in some ways it was, it was a more mature work because it's not just a slam band action fest. There was a lot of, there was a lot of talk, which I thought might turn some people off, but please don't let it turn you off. It was really good dialogue. I thought that was really surrounding this event and people coming through the realization that something isn't right. There was also that mysterious edge that, wait, so did did she completely alter the universe and everybody now, but no, it was like this edge that some people actually kind of remember a time before when everything was normal and the humans were in control and tie-ins were fantastic as well. There were some that were super good standouts some of them that were just kind of cash grabs which is to be expected when you have a popular crossover event but overall i think it was a really really fun event yeah doc i found the core eight issue event to be pretty well self-contained i honestly did not feel the need to have to go back and read the tie-in issues because there really wasn't a lot of dependency put in there because at the beginning of every issue from issue number two onward, they gave you a brilliant synopsis of where you were as a reader in the story. And that allowed a great amount of focus. Now, I know there were some flavor tie-ins. There were some event tie-ins that did have an effect on where those superheroes were at that particular stage of their comics series life. But that was not critical detail to then getting a good understanding of what was going on in the story. Now, I don't want to spoil this one, although I have to tell you, with a lot of the coverage of WandaVision, if you had never read this before, just by reading all the articles on WandaVision, you most likely have a good idea of what this particular event is all about. But what I'd like to do is just give an overview, a general impression of really what in the world is this event? What's it about? First and foremost, it's an alternate reality. So just By that nature, it fits into the category of being an expedition into Elseworlds, something different from the then current comics continuity going over at Marvel. So it's supposed to stand on its own, be on the side, not be a part of continuity as it was originally written. Now, Doc, you and I know that based on the popularity of a particular series, a comics company such as DC or Marvel will go, oh, you know what? Guess what? Now we're going to make that continuity. Oh, and by the way, not only are we going to make continuity, we're going to make it a multiverse or something that existed outside of our standard universe, but we do want to be able to reach back and pull elements of it into future stories. So we need to make it relevant for the readers 
So guess what? Now we're going to incorporate it. How convenient. Okay. So, so not only is that a smart business move on those big twos parts, but at the same time, from a fan service perspective, hey, let's face it. If you've got something good and people want to read more, they're going to do it. And why not allow that to happen? Provide that opening. So within House of M, we have Wanda Maximoff, who to most Marvel readers knows her as the Scarlet Witch. She's one of the more powerful beings in the Marvel Universe. And she has created an alternate reality for all of these supers where mutants dominate the world. Now, for context purposes, if all you're familiar with is the Marvel Cinematic Universe, there's never been a tie-in or correlation between Magneto and Wanda Maximoff. In this book, Magneto is actually the father of Wanda Maximoff, as well as her brother, who's Quicksilver. So when you lay all that out there, think of the X-Men, think of Magneto, think of everybody in Magneto's orbit, but then add Wanda and Quicksilver, Pietro, over there. And you kind of get a feeling for what's going on here. And mutants are treated as almost nobles, uh, particularly those who do come from a noble stock. So you have the appearance of Namor in this particular issue, as well as other notable mutants in the universe who are not put in a position of being stalked down and hunted but are actually celebrated because they're in charge. Now, what's interesting is Wanda makes every character's world here the best that it could be, basically makes their dreams come true. I won't get into the specifics there, but what's very interesting about this is that, and very critical to the narrative in leading us through every one of these core chapters is the role that Wolverine plays. Because that Wolverine character, the biggest thing with Wolverine has been his ability to have traumatic experiences just deleted from his mind. He can't remember them. Well, in order to make Wolverine's world the best that it could possibly be, what has he always wanted the most? To remember. So Wanda provides him with his full-blown memory. So he is one of the few characters in this story arc that actually remembers the world in how it used to be prior to Wanda altering it and putting the mutants in charge. So that's kind of the premise here behind all of this. Doc, with that setup here, where do you feel the strengths of this event are? How did you enjoy the writing? And what did you think of the art? If I may just take a second and like just take one step backwards or just do a little bit more um, background of, of where this is all coming from. With the event right before this one, Avenger, Avengers Disassembled, which was right in 2004. This, this led right into it. This is where, again, this is just for a little bit more background. So if people are wondering, why did, why did she go crazy? What's going on? Wanda, meaning Wanda or Scarlet Witch, there was this attack on the Avengers. They were, there was like these attack on these three different fronts. They seem completely different and irrelevant. And like, what, what is going on here? And it, and, and it turns out at the end of this, this one story arc of Avengers Disassembled, that it was Wanda. She kind of had a breakdown. And she had a breakdown because she couldn't have kids. Kind of made her snap a little bit. She's also a really cool character because she's this bridge, as you just mentioned angus between mutants 
and the Avengers and the X-Men. She's kind of like this, this central figure that kind of unites all of them. And there's this connection between all of them, which I thought was really well done going from Disassembled. I kind of just read like the last two issues of it, of the Disassembled to kind of get a little bit more background for it. And it's cool, cool how it just slides in. So that's when the, the, the Avengers Disassemble, Hawkeye is killed, Vision is killed, and all these really main characters are like just, just wiped out. It was really... It was really amazing. Magneto slowly comes to realize, wow, my daughter's really kind of messed up. So he goes there. The world thinks that Magneto is also dead. And he kind of snatches her up without anybody seeing, takes her away from the Avengers and knows because they know or he knows that she's in danger because she just kind of did this to the Avengers, wiped them out, brings her to the Isle of Genosha, where it was a mutant haven that where all mutants were safe. That place was wiped out too. It's it's all these really big events kind of happened. This House of M kind of kind of comes out of it. And it's really cool how they did it. Magneto, he brings Professor X along to try to say, hey, can you help cure my daughter? He does. He tries his best. Even They even bring Doctor Strange into it to try to cure her. And nobody, nobody can do it. Every night she dreams and she's just, she recreates her children, her children that she never had. Professor X tells her, this is all fake. You got to go. You have to go back to making things real. It's like this jolt to her and she just can't take it. She's just so fragile. And uh, and that's what eventually leads to them. The X-Men and the Avengers together decide, okay, we have to do the right thing for the world. We have to kill Wanda. Pietro doesn't like that. He takes her and then Magneto joins and then this is where the House of M comes in. And then that she, like you said, wishes and makes everybody's world, everybody's desires are fulfilled. So it's going to be the best possible world. There's no conflicts anymore and everything. But as often as the case, the, you know, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And that's kind of what happens here. And everything just gets kind of messed up. But it's, uh, there's some really, some characters that I really didn't know a lot about. I really like learning more about them from this. So going back to your question originally with the writing, I think the writing is really, especially like, you know, focus on the, on the core issues here. I think the writing is really solid. Like I said, it's not a big wham, bam action sequence, one after the other kind of action sequence event, but the action that is in there, I think it's really, really fun because you get to see mutants and x-men that are like on both sides of the of the track now some like people like luke cage and and the punisher and everybody that they're they're considered part of the resistance because they're not mutants they're just you know they were people that were altered or um like with the case of the punisher he has no powers whatsoever and uh, and so these become part of the resistance to the new mutants that are controlling everything so i thought that was pretty cool seeing that and you just see like good guys are bad guys bad guys are good guys and things like that so as far as the writing goes i really i really enjoyed it like you say the eight the core issues super self-contained the little um, summaries in front of each one they're fantastic it's it's so like you know coming from from my perspective where i don't have a whole lot of marvel background as deep as my dc background it really helps you kind of figure out what's going on without scratching your head and having to take three issues just to get caught up with everything so that was that was i thought a great idea that i would love to see every event do that dark knights did that holy crap that would have been a whole whole better series i think for it because it could have cleared up a whole lot and probably grabbed a lot of new readers the artwork I think the artwork is pretty pretty fun. I wouldn't say it's some of the best artwork I've seen, but I like. I think it. I think there's a lot of detail in in a lot of it. Get really good expressions on faces. I remember thinking that when I was reading it. You can see like when a character is getting angry, or like Wolverine, for example, who knows something's not kosher here. You can really see like he's he's kind of concentrating and like he could, he's trying to penetrate his own broken memory. He's trying to figure out what's going on. And I think the artwork really helped convey a lot of those things really well in this House of M. Yeah, I agree with what you had just put out there, Doc. Not only does the artwork effectively back up the very compelling and original story here by 
Brian Michael Bendis. But at the same time, it laid the foundation for certain visual cues that would become very familiar to Marvel fans over the years, particularly the way in which magic is portrayed within the Marvel Universe in the big flashes of light happening and whiting out to signify an event. So although these were created by Infinity Stones, you know, the big snap and then the flash of light and things that you would see there in the Marvel Cinematic Universe with Infinity War and then Endgame. Yeah, those same notes you you see here in, in House of M. And, you know, that came way before those movies ever hit the screen. Also in here in creating her own happy world, you see a pixelated or digital display visualization happen. That was extremely good and very well done by our artist team here. I loved the way in which once Wanda was disrupted, that that visually was put on the page there by Oliver Coppell. Great job by the inkers too, because, you know, let's face it, when you're looking at an overall illustrative effort, you first have your penciler and then your inkers add something more to the picture. And then the color choices that are made are very critical too, to make sure that things pop off the page that are meant to pop off the page. If you want to get across a three-dimensional event or thing happening, when you see that wasting away of characters and scenery and that pixelated uh, nature, I, I just felt that was really inspired work. Loved it. I got fully immersed in it and knew what was happening here. This was peeling away Wanda's world. And the other thing that I truly loved about this event was, I don't want to call it the declawing, but the altering of certain tried and true superheroes arcs. So in this event, you think the Avengers, you think Captain America, right? Not in this one. Steve Rogers is now an aged veteran who did not live through a suspended animation period like the mainstream captain. He lives in an apartment building in the Bronx, and where he seems he's the only human, probably a one who, from his service in World War II as Captain America, Bucky's gone. He's just an old vet, which is kind of cool. It's a different take here. His desire was he didn't want to be, like, frozen in the ice. And that was, so that's when he came, you know, so after the Flash, Wanda's Flash, he was just an old man. So yeah, it was it was really cool. I thought that was a really well done part of it. Yeah, and he was very outspoken in this book about campaigning first against anti-mutant prejudice. And then uh, he spoke out against the rising fascism that would ultimately be Magneto. So he was staying very true to being a champion of individual rights and liberty. So at least Brian Michael Bendis maintained the integrity of the character from that perspective, even though he, in this Wanda-made world, is an old man. And you know, that's a cool nuance and different take here. That That's some inspired writing. And I can't help but feel, Doc, that Brian Michael Bendis was influenced by Age of Apocalypse when that event came out, because that was so very popular at the time. And this spoke to me of certain beats of that event, too. And I, I would pop that Apocalypse event and this event uh, up up on the same level as far as the quality 
of those events are concerned. And, you know, by this point in comic books, I don't know, man. Are there really, are there too, is there such a thing as too many events, Doc? I, I mean, th- these are the exceptions we're talking about here, why we choose them to cover them on Kirby's Kids. But frankly, DC with a cr- their crisis events, and then of course you had the made for retail event of Secret Wars <laughs> happening at Marvel. <laughs> In the 80s to sell toys. You get to the point as a reader and go, okay, do we have to have an annual crossover event or big event happen? Can't we just stick with compelling storytelling within series? And this, although being a crossover event, because it's so self-contained, actually makes a compelling argument for just compelling storytelling in a series because literally this house of m which by the way the m and house of m stands for magnus which is the last name of eric magnus otherwise known as magneto so that's the m folks in house of m and the reason i point that out is because you're really focusing in on that story of family. This is what this is about. And I think Brian Michael Bendis, unlike previous events where you go from issue to issue of superheroes either fighting one another or a common enemy or several enemies from fisticuffs to lasers shooting out of people's eyes to, you know, devices and spaceships and all that stuff flying around. You literally go through six issues here with none of that happening. You really only have one big issue, the final showdown, where you have a lot of action happening. And I think this speaks to the times with which this was put out. And again, I went back and checked my own assertions here, and I did remember correctly. It is 2005 here. This ran from June 2005, I think, to November 2005, as far as the core events are concerned. Of course, you then had the lead-ups and everything that you read, which you read on point there. This speaks to the success of non-superhero comics doing well. I know I sound like a broken record. I keep pointing back to Vertigo, but this was also happening over at Image and several other houses where you could... tell compelling stories with not having to have a ton of action sequences in every issue just so long as the writing was good and the illustration quality was equally as compelling as the story and no doubt about it that this event hits it on both fronts. Yeah, we both, I know we both recently read the same article that their bottom line talking about the overview of House of M was that House of M commits the biggest sin in comic books. It's boring. Uh, like, did they read it? I mean, what did they, what were they reading? Because there was, okay, there may not be the wall-to-wall action that you, you know, you might be getting in like an X-Men comic or an Avengers comic, but the House of M was anything but boring. It was a really compelling story. Um, you really got to know, you know, um, some characters and a deeper level, um, at least for me, you know, not being the as deep uh, Marvel reader. And uh, I really loved reading about these characters. And I thought the interaction, like you said, it's a story about a family when it comes right down to it. And that's what made it so, I think what made it so powerful. I love the whole idea that Magneto, who is, you know, he is the new basically dictator of the world that I wasn't sure the whole time if he knew that something changed with, you know, when Wanda had her little flash and changed everything. I don't know 100% if he was aware of it or not. 
towards the end, you know, when he, when you know, you get the typical "What have you done?" Um, kind of, uh, kind of speech. You know, then he becomes aware. But I don't know if he was like, if he kind of was aware in the first one, two, and three issues of House of M, if he was aware that something changed, and he was just like situations that uh, really had me thinking. It was that kind of mysterious thing where do people know what's going on, or do people realize that it changed? And they're just like, I like the world better this way. I started reading some background because I wanted to get a little bit more deeper into it, as I like to do. It really, it just grabbed me immediately. And I was glad I went back and read everything. Yeah, you had these two camps. The one camp really embraced Brian Michael Bendis, were big fans of his Avengers run, would go on to embrace him with his Spider-Man run and loved the different take, the originality of it all. And are up for change and wanting Elseworlds and multiverse kind of tales. And then the other camp are those who like their superhero stories a little bit formulaic. Meaning this, the characters are established, I'm comfortable and I understand their backstories, I've been reading them forever, and just give me what the new challenge is, how they go about solving that challenge, and then what the resolution is that then moves the story to the next issue. And they're happy with that, and they want to see a lot of action. They look to not only read a story, but more importantly, they want action on the page and to digest that kind of artwork. Okay, I get it. I get it. So I can see where House of M would have been a massive disappointment for them because that did not deliver that. It delivered it for maybe one issue with regard to the action. But what it did deliver was absolutely compelling story arc that was very contained within eight very sound issues. Now, Doc, let's go back to your reading experience here. How many tie-in issues were there? And amongst your experience in those tie-in issues, maybe provide our listeners with some of the highlights as to why maybe some of those tie-in issues were so enjoyable. So including the actual core event, the eight-issue core event, it's a total of 64 issues, which when I first saw that, I was like, oh, well, it's going to take me a while to get through. But I burned through these <laughs> and there were some of them that i did skim because when because when it comes to these it's not that i didn't want to read them but i was i really just wanted to read ones that were really really hardcore tie-ins to the event not just ones that were kind of loose like oh this is our popular title at the time let's bring this in so we get more people to buy it uh, that kind of deal so it was a total of 64 um with the core issues and without a doubt like part of the official event is just um excalibur volume three series um that was it had a short run i think it was like 14 issues total this one really just required like it said hey if you want to get some background just read like 13 and 14 the last two issues and i ended up reading all 14 of them because i thought it was i did read 13 and 14 i'm like this is really cool i really love this story and i went back and that one starts off with the destruction of of genosha from cassandra nova how professor x is trying to rebuild genosha and trying to save she wiped out like 16 million people or something like that it was it was quite the uh, quite the destructive event because this is eventually where Magneto brings Scarlet Witch after she has her breakdown because it's kind of a safe place. People don't think anybody else is alive there, so they're not going to be looking for anyone there. So that was kind of cool as a, just a kind of a background one. But what I really, really liked was it was a Civil War House of M. And this was a five-issue limited series. And this is the issue that developed, or I should say the series, over the course of those five issues that really developed how Magneto actually came into power. So this is after the Flash, 
and it is how Magneto becomes the dictator of the world. And we go into his background, so we get a really good origin story in the first issue, and uh, and then it just further develops along. And it was just, it was so compelling. It was, it was just so awesome watching how he rose to power and you know takes over, and he becomes part of the mutant, which was, I guess, at the time it was considered an uprising, but then it held this time magneto was successful and now he is the dictator of the world house of m kind of deal so that was a really that was a really fun one another was house of m avengers numbers one to five another five issue tie-in limited series and this one was detailing basically like luke cage like the hell's kitchen kind of group how they became the the resistance to the mutants because these were all non-mutant people really it was and we really focused on luke cage and how Luke Cage went became like he gets out of prison. You know, same kind of basic origin story. He was experimented on in prison. He is basically, you know, indestructible. But now when he comes out of Hell's Kitchen, he wants to become the new crime lord of of the area because he has the power, the physical power. Now he wants to exert it over everybody on the limit because he does know that the mutants. So he wants to kind of stay low-key because he doesn't want to gain the attention of the mutants because he would be put down um, as a possible danger to the movement so it was really cool we see he recruits other non-mutant superpowers i know moon mockingbird misty knight end up ends up joining along with him tigra moon knight iron fist hawkeye all these non-mutant super or not even superpowers but non-mutants um they kind of join together and they 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 start off as just you know they just want to survive they just want to get by they're going to try to help luke cage become like this crime crime lord basically and then of course because at heart they are good people and they're good guys they end up you know forming this resistance and they stand up to um what's going on against magneto and his crew and they eventually so these little stories of like the house of m avengers um they eventually you know they do flood in so it is a direct tie-in because they completely flood into these as, uh, as Angus was mentioning, the last like standoff with the mutants and the House of M with, with the Avengers and the and the remaining X-Men and things like that. So they, they do all end up really coming together in a nice way. And another fun one, just because I've always been a really big fan of Doctor Doom. So the Fantastic Four House of M. Um, and this, I believe, was only three issues. That's that series. And that just kind of shows how they completely just wiped out the fantastic four and built it from the ground up um reed richards was dead and doom leads the group which is called the fearsome four and they he's kind of like he's the dirty arm of of the house of m he kind of does all of magneto's dirty work you know kind of like the mercenary kind of kind of group that you know he needs magneto needs something done there's an uprising that he needs squashed he sends out the fearsome four led by dr doom and of course Doom being Doom, he always has higher aspirations. Why does Magneto get to be the top of the chain? I'm smarter. I'm more powerful. I'm better. And so, you know, there's always that. It kind of becomes like a little Shakespearean with, um, you know, working to stab people in the back and everything. It's that was, that was a really cool one as well. And those are probably the ones that really stand out the most. The ones that I didn't enjoy, which were unfortunately, which I was really looking forward to them, was the Uncanny X-Men tie-ins and the new X-Men tie-in to the House of M event. Didn't really do it for me. They, they were interesting reads, but they, they didn't really tie in as firmly as I thought they would, considering that, you know, we, I knew we were going to get this big Avengers and X-Men team up against the House of M kind of kind of thing at the end. So it didn't really pan out as, as I thought it would, but the Wolverine one was pretty good as well. It was issues 33, 34, and 35 of Volume 3 in Wolverine, 
that it's called chasing ghosts and it's just like angus was talking about it's his memory dealing with trying to remember everything that was happening and he does and uh and this is how he's now trying to wake up other people this isn't the way the world's supposed to be kind of deal so those were those are the standouts to me and there was a solo captain america which kind of again talks about what angus mentions how you know captain america he really didn't have anything to do with this uprising because he didn't have his powers anymore. He was a hundred year old man at this point or something like that. So it was just, um, it was kind of like his background and how he got to where he was not super important as far as the whole over overarching story. But if you're a Captain America fan, it was definitely kind of cool to see this alternate history of, uh, if he never went into the ice, what would have happened to Captain America kind of deal, kind of like a, almost a short contained what if story within it. Those are the, those are the main ones that really, that really worked for me as the tie-ins go. And like I, like I always do for the DC events, I will, I will list all of the tie-ins and I will put my opinions of what I think are the real essential tie-ins that lead directly to the core issues and which ones, if you don't want to, you know, be bothered with some of the ones that are just kind of on the periphery, um, I'll also list those as well that you can kind of scan over these or skip them all together <laughs> kind of deal. And Doc, that is some invaluable guidance for our listeners to have if they wish to go ahead and tackle this House of M event. I would just like to touch on my reading experience of the eight core issues. I have a subscription to Marvel Unlimited. So I first read the individual issues, the eight core within that application. And those preserved the original books those single issues as they were published. So that's why they had the synopsis that they would build on from issues two through eight of the event and what was going on there, which are were very helpful, particularly if I found myself putting that down and picking it back up. Now, I also got the graphic novel, which has some wonderful alternate covers and artwork in it, and it's really splashy. But the value in this one is, although it doesn't have the synopsis like it does on the individual issues from two through eight, right after the core eight issues is a section called Secrets of the House of M. And it delves into all of the necessary backgrounds of all of the main story characters talks about Genosha and the House of M, what goes on there, has a fantastic ways in which these organizations such as S.H.I.E.L.D. and who's all on the S.H.I.E.L.D. team at the particular time. In this Secrets of the House of M, they break down every one of the factions that we're talking about in the book. So you have the mutants in there, you've got the sapiens in there, which include Luke Cage, Punisher, those who don't have the special abilities that a mutation would have caused, but have developed their either skills through just sheer practice and will or some sort of alter experiment. So you also then have the different organizations broken down, as I mentioned before, the Fearsome Four, you have S.H.I.E.L.D. in there, all of the stakeholders who are involved with this event. And it's really great to have all this little synopsis in there. In addition to that, there is another section in there called Mutant Week, which is a really cool series of articles, media, 
that were produced with the mutants being in charge and reflecting that kind of world and includes interviews in there. Like Hank McCoy is interviewed in there and all of the different types of things that mutants would be participating in, such as teleportation tours. There's a cool little ad in there for that sort of stuff. It's it's really cleverly done. There's also one, The Pulse, the M Special Edition, The House of N, uh, Magnus Big Day, and this is reflecting or doing a mockumentary, if you will, of tabloid media and how the tabloid media would be covering the mutants and high society and their events and what takes place there. So really immersing you into this Wanda Scarlet Witch created world. So from that standpoint, that is a very rich experience and also why these core eight issues stand on their own if you're just reading the graphic novel. Yeah, the, the secrets of House of M, that was that was a really fun read. And for all the reasons you just said, it's just it just kind of veers off a little bit, but gives you more information. And it's just it was really fun the way they did that. So Doc, overall, what would be your recommendation to our readers? with respect to House of M and its importance in the Marvel Comics multiverse. You know, I think at the at the very base, the 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 very core, the eight issue core issue series, House of M, it is well, well worth your time of, of the investment. I don't think it'll take anybody long to read it because once you get engrossed into it, I, I just I was just absorbed by it. And I just I just like tore through it I tore through all the 64 issues it was uh it's a really really fun fun read i think it's one of those gems from that kind of got got overlooked in the 2000s and early 2000s that now with this reemergence of wandavision i think people are kind of going back and saying remember that i think it might be based on this and again i don't know anything about how the two connect if at all because i haven't seen it i haven't watched it yet but it's uh it's definitely uh, it's a really fun read some great characters you you just see like it's to me it's the ultimate what if story what if mutants were at the top of the food chain this is it i mean this is you're not going to get any other story that's better than this just shows also the house of i'm sorry um wanda just how powerful she is she basically has you know a bad dream and she just changes all of reality kind of thing it was a little bit more intentional than that it's a little over exaggerated but it's kind of it's kind of the way it is like every night she was creating you know the, her her children that never existed and she had this whole life with vision and, and things like that so it just shows just how powerful she is and you know maybe maybe we'll see hints of that in the upcoming you know marvel movies which would be fantastic if we do get to see that it's a great read that i, I definitely recommend it for everybody and it really is it's one of those two events mainly because of what you were talking about earlier, but the little summaries before each issue, it really makes it like that you feel like you've been reading Marvel Comics forever because it, it just catches you up immediately. It tells you all the important information you need to know without giving anything away, obviously. It makes it just really digestible and it just overall, I think it was a super fun one. My recommendations, if you do want to get a little bit deeper into it with the, either the background or um, with some of the other tie-in events that are going on that just kind of elevate the story, um, you can definitely read the cores without even reading that Civil War House of M about how Magneto comes to power. But if you do read it, I think you'll have fun because it'll just, it's just, he's a great character. It just shows how much fun the writers were having with him, showing how he comes into his own kind of deal. So it's really, really fun event. I, I highly recommend it to everybody. I had a great time with it. Doc, I also 100% endorse it. And being a devoted watcher of WandaVision when it first came out and I've been there, it's been appointment TV every Friday for me and my family, it definitely takes the beats and inspirational ties to this event and runs with it there. So you will definitely be very pleased 
once you get around to viewing it. And we will do a full-blown review of that WandaVision series once Doc has gotten caught up and views that whole series. And of course, we will be tying in all of our reading to what we viewed there. And I'll also say this, that when we go back to the foundational series of what birthed the Marvel multiverse, we will delve into the What If series. And that'll most likely, Doc, be our next dive is to those early What If issues. And it will be very interesting to see how or if Brian Michael Bendis took any source of inspiration from those earlier works and used that as a template from which to build this House of M. Oh boy, here you go. Uh, Magnus Opus? <laughs> uh, <laughs> it had to be said. <laughs> yeah, it had to be said. It had to be said. So with that, I'd like to leave our listening audience with the following. Welcome to the House of M, a world where your heart's greatest desire can and does come true. A world where superior is dominant. Homo sapiens are content and peace reigns. A world that seems too good to be true, that doesn't seem real. A world that isn't real, but a world of unreality where everything will change forever. Welcome to a house of cards built from the ashes of the Avengers, where the longer the secrets of the House of M remain untold, the further away reality has any hope of being restored. Diagnosis. Multiverse.